together. Lord God, you are here. You welcome us. You embrace us. You speak good things into our hearts and minds and souls so much that we can, we can taste your goodness, Lord. We praise you for who you are, that you are the one who, who adores us, and you pour your heart out for us. And so we thank you for this time that we have to rest in the truth of your grace and goodness for this meal that we've received, that we have tangible, um, tangible proof of your love. And so we pray during this time, we'd recognize that your spirit is at work in our hearts and minds, that there's healing going on, that there's restoration taking place as we hear the healing words of, your, of you, your words from Scripture. And so we praise you, God, for all you're about to do. And we pray this in Jesus' holy name. And all God's people said, amen. Please have a seat. Amen. Let's hear that amen again. Amen. And that feel good. And Roy was, amen. Who said that? Yeah. All right. That was a good one. Woo. Love it. I love it. I love it. My heart is so full. We have, we have a friend. My, Roy, my friend Roy is back from, from uh, this, he's a miracle. He's a walking miracle. He had like a heart surgery that nobody knew how to deal with. And they said he was maybe a goner. And then he, he, we prayed and prayed and they said, strange, there's a doctor up north that just invented a procedure just to help heal this man. And we were like, oh, Lord, you are so good. Uh, <laughs> yep. Oh, my God. Hey, we can't not, like, I, I just see all these babies coming into worship right now. And so, it, I mean, I, I don't want to out you. You probably want to hide or something. But do you want to stand if you just had a baby, like, in the past, like, three months or something like that? Because there's a lot of people. This guy, he is so awesome. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so there's a baby in there somewhere. That's so great. And then the, the three days, three days. And how old is your baby? Two weeks old. Oh, my goodness. I saw Zach out there somewhere with the baby. He's hiding in the cafe, so shout out to that. This, this congregation, we are, we are practicing what I like to refer to as Mormon evangelism, okay? You know how they grow the church, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It used to be called Catholic evangelism, but anyway. <laughs> you could grow the church by 10 times if you just encourage everybody to have to have a baby. So, um... <laughs> So, uh, so this is a good Sunday. It, you know what? I, you know how I knew today was a good Sunday? Because I had to take a step of faith today. My first thing in the morning, I took a cold shower. Talk about a step of faith, right? Uh, you know what I learned about taking a cold shower? It's actually not that bad of an experience. What's hard about it is beginning the cold shower, right? <laughs> you know, like that first step. And I realized the best thing is not to overthink it. You just jump into that cold shower and just, just go for it. And then it works. So um, you're, you're wondering how this has anything to do with you and your life and how your, your journey with God. <laughs> we'll get there. But today's the preview for 40 days of prayer, which is beginning, okay, everybody wants to know what day is the first day of that 40 days of prayer. It's next Monday, okay? So that, that will be the day where we have 40 days from that point until Easter. This week we have Ash Wednesday. We'll be beginning the period of Lent where we observe uh, Jesus's 40 days in the wilderness uh, and that he had a preparation for ministry and preparation for his great work that he did uh, in the world. And so, um, so we are gonna, we're going to start all that stuff up, but right now we're going to do a preview. And, and I want to ask, I always ask a question because I think it helps you prepare your heart and your mind for what God is about to say to you. And, and truth is, God says a different thing to, almost, to every single person in this room through the message every Sunday. But the question is the same. Why do you pray? 
And I think the answer is different for so many other people, right? So, so if you're asked the question, why do you pray? Someone might say, I pray because I want to get things from God. You know, we all have our kind of the way we do it. Other people pray because they want God to do something for them or do something in the world. So their, 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 their goal in prayer is for God to act. Other people pray because they want to be centered. They want to find their balance again. Other people pray uh, because they like to hear the sound of their own voice. Actually, that's, that's kind of all there. Some people pray because they want that sense of refreshing experience that they get out of prayer. The truth is there's no, there's no wrong reason to pray. There's no wrong reason to pray. And the other thing that I think that people tend to be uh, confused about is they think that prayer is for uh, professionals, right? It's for people, who, people who've been trained how to pray. Actually, prayer is an amateur sport. It's for amateurs. It's not for professionals. It's something that everybody can do, and there's no wrong way to do it, to engage and, and to, par- to, to connect with God. And the other thing that before we begin this series in prayer that I really want to say is that prayer is a mystery. As much as we want to kind of say that we've got prayer nailed down, we figured it all out, prayer is a mystery. So is, so is your journey of faith, and so is, so is discovering who God is and the way that God works through the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we like to say, this is, this is how God works. That's putting God in a box. <laughs> Clearly, God, God is a God that's an out-of-the-box God, not confined to any, any of our little rhythms or scientific analysis of who God is. But what we do know is that prayer is talked about in the Bible, and we find it represented in the Bible, and we can learn from those prayers of the Bible, the prayers that Jesus wrote, the prayers that took place in the Bible, and we can apply those in our lives. So the story today is a story that, uh, uh, that happened 3,200 years ago. Oh, wait, uh, five people just fell asleep when I said that. <laughs> 3,200 years ago, there was a woman named Hannah in the Bible, and she went to God in prayer, and we're going to discover her story today. Want to read it? It's in the gospel of, or not the gospel, or it's in the book of Samuel um, in the Old Testament. And here's verse 1. It starts out, the book starts out with these words. There was a certain man from Ramathim, a Zophite from the highlands of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. Maybe his friends called him Elk, right? A good name. Now, Elkanah had two wives. Okay, hold on a second. Anytime you read a story and it starts out with the words Elkanah, or someone had two wives, you know trouble is about to happen, okay? You know this isn't going to turn out well for Elkanah. This is going to be a mess of a relationship. It says, Elkanah had two wives, one named Hannah and the other named Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah didn't. Oh, that's just the, that's like that pain um, that you can already sense that Hannah's experiencing. It says this, every year this man would leave, Elkanah would leave his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of heavenly forces in Shiloh the town Shiloh, where Eli's two sons, Eli the priest, his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were the Lord's priests. Now, it says that whenever Elkanah sacrificed, Elkanah would give parts of the sacrifice to his wife, Peninnah, and to all her sons and daughters. But he would give only one part of it to Hannah, though he loved her, because the Lord had kept her from conceiving. Imagine he's sacrificing, making these great big sacrifices of these, you know, Hearst Ranch cattle, right? Some delicious, delicious stuff. And he's, got the, he's giving the J&R meats. He's giving the best cuts. He's giving those to Peninnah because she has all the kids. She want, he wants all his kids to be fat. He wants Peninnah to be fat. And then he gives like a little, little sliver of a morsel of food to Hannah. And it says, oh yeah, he loved her, 
but he was just going to give her just a little bit. And why? Because he saw more value in Peninnah than he saw in Hannah. And so he was feeding her more and doting upon her more and giving her the big gifts, and Hannah didn't have anything. And so, you, so this, this story starts out with tough, tough reality. And it says, it says that uh, because the reason why that he didn't feed her is because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving. And because the Lord had kept Hannah from conceiving, her rival would make fun of her mercilessly, mercilessly just to bother her. Now, by the way, we read in here that the Lord kept Hannah from conceiving. We should not then apply that truth to every woman who can't conceive, that the, the Lord's hand is the reason that a woman can't conceive. This is a specific instance uh, in, in which this is what God is doing in this woman's life. But, but we should never say, oh, you know what? This is something God has done. God wants for us to be fruitful and abundant and to live life to the fullest. And so, so just, just be careful when you take one story and apply it to every situation. And it goes on to say, so that is what took place year after year. Year after year, Peninnah would make fun of Hannah because she couldn't have a baby, because she had, couldn't have children. And whenever Hannah went to the Lord's house, Peninnah would make fun of her, and then she would cry and she wouldn't eat anything. This is a story of brokenness. Hannah is broken. She's the, she's the leftovers in life. She's being treated as nothing. Her husband has got someone else that he's in love with, and he is allowing that person that he's in love with to bully Hannah. And then Hannah has this other part of her where she has, has her dreams dashed, that she wants to be a mom, and she can't be a mom. And, and this is where she finds her sense of self-worth. You know, it's not just today that that people find all of their self-worth in, in some, of these, some of these identities that ultimately we find our worth in God. And the scripture talks about this brokenness. It shows us that, that Hannah is broken. And so when we, when we look at Hannah's prayer that she's about to pray, we can remember that we can go to God when we're broken. We don't have to go to God in prayer just because we have it all together. Actually, there, there's no better place to be than to be, to be before God, whether you're broken and you're always broken, by the way. Actually, you know, the people who, who think that they, Jesus said, I came to heal those who need a savior, those who know they're broken. There's such, such a great posture of worship to, to connect with God in our own brokenness and to know that that's something that's happened for 3,200 years and beyond. This is what the scripture goes on to say. It says these words, Hannah, okay, so by the way, does any other husbands in this room have a chronic disease that I have, which is called put your foot in your mouth-itis. Do you know what I'm talking about that? It, it, it's a situation where, you know, the, you see your wife uh, in, in a moment of pain and grief, and, and you think, I can make it better. No, you can't. You're gonna make it worse if you say anything. Shut up. <laughs> that's a, that's, that's, uh, thank you, Lord, for speaking through me to me right now. Uh, I, I need to hear these words. <laughs> This is what Elkanah has. It shows that things never changed 3,200 years ago. Elkanah says, Hannah, why are you crying? Okay, thank you, Elkanah, for being so, so compassionate. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, apparently he said it all the time. And then it goes on to say, why won't you eat? He wants her to eat more. Why are you so sad? And he says, aren't I worth more to you than 10 sons? Notice he makes it all about himself. Nice one, Elkanah. <laughs> really smooth move. Let's see how Hannah responds to that. It goes on to say that uh, one time after eating and drinking in Shiloh at the big worship festival, Hannah got up and presented herself before the Lord. 
Now, Eli the priest was sitting in the chair by the doorpost of the Lord's temple. You know, imagine that, that, that Hannah thinks that she's alone in the Lord's temple. How many people have been alone inside of a church? Have you ever been alone inside of a church? Uh, just found yourself just in that beautiful space of prayer? It's one of my favorite things. Catholic churches, a lot of times, you can go there in the day and they're, they're always open. You can just walk in and you can just sit there in the pews. And there's just usually like a few other people and you can pray in them. I love them. And, and, it, and it says that Hannah was in the space. She got up from this meal. She goes over and she starts praying. And Eli, the, the priest, or, is there kind of in the shadows. She doesn't see him. And it says, um, Hannah was very upset and she couldn't stop crying as she prayed to the Lord. You know, crying is one of those things that you don't really have to teach a baby how to cry, do you? They just know how to cry, like, like right out. It's, and, you, and I don't know if you've noticed, but it's like, it's so restorative, actually. It's something that we, in fact, it's something we unlearn. It's something that, that we are told is not for a mature person to do, to cry. That we're taught to stuff our emotions down and, and to, to put on a hard outer shell and, and to keep a good face, but not to cry. And actually, God, God loves and shows lots of examples where people cry out to God. That they allow, they approach God with the softness of their hearts. They allow themselves to go to that place of pain and sorrow and, 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 and wounding and to allow themselves to crumple up you know, crying is a great thing because crying is what happens when you have no words, right? You just don't have the words. And so in a way, crying, crying is, is a language that God understands. He understands it. You think, about, I don't have the words to pray. You know, just, just, just approaching God and just praying and crying is okay. And so as, as we're kind of looking at these things, and by the way, I'm a, I'm a crying prayer. So like I always cry during prayer. My staff is like, oh man, this guy's losing it. I just love it. So I'm not saying that everybody is going to be like me, but it is, a, it is a great tool that God uses to soften our hearts and allow us to, to receive the truth of who he is. It says, um, it says that then Hannah, in this prayer, time of prayer and crying, Hannah made this promise to God. Lord of heavenly forces, just look at your servant's pain and remember me. Remember me. Don't forget your servant. Give her a boy. I like that she's very specific, right? She says, I want a boy. I don't know what she has against girls. That's probably connected to that self-worth thing that we need to work on with Hannah, right? Give her a boy. And then she says, then I'll give him to the Lord for his entire life. No razor will ever touch his head. She's saying that when this boy is born, this boy will not be Elkanah's baby boy. That this baby boy will be God's baby boy. And that she will, when the boy is old enough, send this boy into essentially boarding school to become a priest. That she'll go and she won't be able to be the mom to this boy. She'll allow, she'll allow the church to raise up this kid in the church and to be a part of, of drawing people into an experience of receiving the truth of who God is. It's an awesome, awesome thing. And also just a, whew, what a, what a big promise. You know, all these babies, a lot of people like to, um, uh, we love it when people bring their babies for dedication or their babies for baptism here in this church. We love it because it's the same thing that um, you'll see Joseph and Mary do with 
the baby Jesus, when they bring the baby to the temple. It's the same thing that you'll see uh, Hannah eventually do with her baby boy. Uh, I just think it's such a cool thing the first day you bring your baby boy or your baby girl to the temple. You bring your child to the temple. I, w- I was also talking with someone before worship, and I was saying, wouldn't it be cool if we played that, like, Lion King soundtrack? Do you know what I mean? Like, when the baby comes in, just like, ah, na 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 Anyway, <laughs> a circle of life. Anyway, a little dramatic. Anyway, prayer changes what seems unchangeable. Um, Hannah was bold enough to say, you know, God, this is what I want from you. This is, this is the path. This is how I want life to look like. And I'm going to tell you what I want it to look like. A lot of times in life, we think that prayer is this fatalistic experience where we just go, God, your will be done. You're perfect. I just wish I could accept more of the way that you've, you're designing the world. End of subject. Which is, of course, a great prayer to pray. But we don't believe that we are fatalistic in our life. We don't believe that we don't have free choice, that we can actually make wrong decisions in our life against the will of God, that we can actually participate with God in bringing about good things in the world. We don't believe that we're deprived of those, those expressions and experiences. So why would we think that in the, in the spiritual realm with prayer that we would be inhibited from partnering with God in God's creation and God's good work? And saying, God, this is, this is how this could happen. And God, I, God enjoys us. God enjoys us participating in the dream and, and, and asking God and petitioning to God and saying, God, do this. Because God loves to see us changed. And so I love that Hannah goes to God and says what she wants. Jesus said to his disciples these words. He said, ask and you will receive. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Whoever seeks, finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door is opened. Hannah asks boldly. She knocks on that door. She says, this is what I'm asking for. And this is what the scripture says. It says, as she kept praying before the Lord, Eli watched her mouth. So the priest watched her mouth. Now, as Hannah was praying in her heart, her lips were moving, right? But her voice was silent. So Eli thought that she was drunk. Okay, that's his assumption. She's just like, nah, like this. And he thinks, nope, she's, she's lit. This, she, she, she's gone. She's completely gone. So it goes on to say, Eli says, how long will you act like a drunk? Sober up. Isn't that terrible to hear in the midst of her prayer, her crying prayer? So, like, as if no one in the world understands her at all. Eli runs up to her and says, you're a drunk. Get it together. And Hannah says, no, sir. I love that she's finding her voice. I love that she's finding her voice. She's saying, no, I'm not. I'm not drunk. I'm just a very sad woman. I haven't had any wine or beer, but have been pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think, listen to this, don't think your servant is some good-for-nothing woman. This whole time, I've been praying out of my great worry and trouble. See, Hannah finds her worth in her prayer. She finds her voice to say, I am not good for nothing. I am valuable. I'm important. I'm loved. She emerges from this prayer and she declares that to Eli. She says, you will not treat me like a good for nothing anymore. I won't be that person in the world. When we go to God in prayer, we discover our worth. 
We discover who God proclaims us to be. All of us have those voices in the world that tell us that we're not good enough or those experiences where people aren't lifting us up as they should or where we're being disenfranchised or pushed away or we're not getting as much uh, J&R meats as we should in our life, right? We're not getting the, the, the choice steak. We see other people getting that. And so we see those experiences and then we start to attach our worth to those experiences and we start to, start to think that that's who we are, that we're not important. But when we go to God in prayer, we discover our worth. We're reminded that God adores us, that God looks down on us. With God, God, is, God looks at us. That God inhabits us. That God fills us and God is with us. And that God does not separate, separate from our pain and our experiences. We discover our worth. And then it says in this last little bit, it says, Eli the priest responded, then go in peace and may the God of Israel give you what you've asked from him. And Hannah said, please think of me well, your servant. Hannah said, then the woman went on her way. She ate some food. Thank goodness she was getting really hungry, right? And she wasn't sad any longer. Isn't that awesome? She wasn't sad. Now, nothing has happened. God hasn't done anything in response to the prayer yet. There's just nothing has happened. That's an amen. I like it. Go for it. That, that, that God, God has not given her a child, yet she's not sad any longer. See, what, what happens in prayer is that we are changed. Prayer always changes us. Anytime that we engage in prayer, we're changed. Anytime that we say, you know what? I'm going to take all of the things that I could be doing with my hands right now, and I'm going to fold them. It's that thing where you just say, okay, slow down. Stop. Take a breath. Remember who God is. Remember that God is the creator of the universe, yet God is here with us. And speak to God and listen to God's voice. Every single time that we pray, we will be transformed. Every time. You know what I like to call that kind of look on someone's face after they've been praying? I call it prayer glow. Was you think that's a good name? I don't know. <laughs> but well, I don't know about that. But that is, the, that is the, the truth, that people who pray in the Bible, you will see that they come down off the mountain, whether it's Moses talking to God, whether it's Jesus, uh, they, they have a glow about them. Even Peter, you see this uh, depicted in Scripture. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. When you emerge from prayer, you will be like little light bulbs. So if you participate in this 40 days of prayer, I hope that you go into it expecting nothing less than to be refreshed, to be restored, to be keenly aware that God is the one who is in control of all of, the, all of the things in this world. And then when you appeal to God, God listens to what you, the, the depth and the, the pain and the sorrow of your heart, and God loves you and adores you and speaks your worth to you so that you emerge from that remembering that you're not worthless, you're not trash. I think a lot of us don't remember that we are the pinnacle of God's creation. That's you. I love it when people come up for communion. The thing that we say is, this is, this is the body of Christ broken for who? We say you. This is the blood of Christ shed for who? For you. I love to see people's eyes because I want them to receive the truth. It was for you. It was 100% for you. Jesus said that he would leave the 99 in order to rescue the lost sheep. He did that for you. He's, he would do that again. And so this is how uh, the scripture continues. I love that after the prayer, it says that um, they got up early the next morning and they worshiped, they worshiped 
the Lord. Isn't that great that there's this restoration in worship? That Hannah is restored and that they're finding themselves in worship. I'm not going to say that that, it doesn't say that they worshiped the Lord and everything was hunky-dory, right? But they were faithful. They got up in the morning and they had this time of praise. Can you imagine them singing? And, and the, uh, the, like, the Old Testament version of Roy saying like, you got a friend in Jesus, you know? <laughs> Just like lifting them up and, and then having that experience together and then going on their journey together. Then they went back home to Ramah. Elkanah had sex with his wife and Hannah. Wife Hannah, by the way, that's one of those things. People, we need to participate in the miracles of God, you know, rather than just wait for God to happen. It wasn't immaculate conception, okay? So, so <laughs> you're like, I think I know this from health class. Anyway, so in the course of time, Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son, and gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, which means I asked the Lord for him. Isn't that a great name? She said, I'm gonna name him this is my answer to prayer. I asked the Lord for him. Every time that he introduces someone, himself to someone, they're going to say, where'd you get that name? And he'll say, well, okay, let me tell you the story of how I was born. Awesome. That's what she wanted. She wanted a little boy that would grow up into a man, and he would always say, he would always, he would always, I just love the song, Living on a Prayer. That's what his name was, Living on a Prayer. He would always walk forward in his life preaching the truth that God listens to prayers that God responds to prayers, that God gives good things in response to prayer. So his name was Samuel. I asked the Lord for him. I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord gave him to me. Isn't that awesome? Now, one of the things that happened this last summer was our first men's retreat that I know of. Was there other men's retreats at Highlands? Is that, that's like the first one. It was a kayak trip to Catalina, Catalina Island, across the ocean. Doesn't that sound exciting? crazy journey. I saw people signing up for it, and they're like, oh, what am I doing? And they had a great time. They, they, they show these videos of them going through the tunnels in the water. We're going to do it again this next summer, and I'm going this time. And, uh, and, but Ben came back. He helped lead that trip. He put it together with all these leaders from the church. And, um, and when he came back, he said, you know, one of the best experiences was when we went cliff diving, Right? And he said, you get up on top of this cliff. This is, like, this is like stock footage, but this is basically what it was. You get up on top of this cliff over the ocean, and he said, when you stand on the edge of the cliff, everything in your body says, don't jump, right? Don't do it. But then there's something that happens in you that you know that the adventure you're going to experience, you know the joy you'll have, and you know that, that there's, an, there's so much waiting for you. All you have to do is go for it. And you were wondering how I was going to bring back in the uh, cold shower, Right? Don't overthink it. Just jump in there. Have you guys ever been to Tahoe and jumped into the, into the lake? How many people have been to Tahoe? Let's just see that. How many people have jumped into the lake? Like half. And I know what you're thinking, the other people who didn't jump in the lake. I did jump in the lake, and I would do it again. But the, but the reason you don't jump in the lake is because you think, I might have a heart attack and die. Right? You think that. Like, like you go to the worst possible scenario. You don't think, well, I could get a cold or something like that. You go straight to death. Like, like there's nothing in between, nothing else. Like, I could get a splinter or something like that. No, it's just death, pretty much. That's what we do in our life. We always, we always complicate the, the truth. And, and, and a lot of times, what we need to do in life is to just go for it. But I'll tell you, you think that the, 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 the biggest challenge for people is not actually the challenge of cliff diving, it's not the challenge of jumping into Lake Tahoe. The biggest challenge is this journey that a person takes in their heart from hearing about the truth of Jesus to saying yes. Wow. 
Every person who's ever knelt before God. I remember one time I was uh, on a mission trip to Trinidad, and they said, it was the first time anyone ever said to me, you're going to preach today. And I said, what? And there was, we went to a youth prison, a young men's prison, and all teenagers. And I remember thinking, what am I going to speak into their heart? I remember saying to them, you know what? It, there's a lot of pressure. People looking at you, are you going to pray or not going to pray? But I said, later tonight, when the lights go off and you're in your bunk or your bed, no one will know. Just you and God. And you haven't got nothing to lose. Just begin a conversation with God. Just begin a conversation with God. The greatest journey, whether you, there's a thousand different ways to pray. One of the ways uh, to pray is to kneel down. But the journey of a, of a prideful human being or a person who just, who just can't find themselves in that place of faith, the journey from standing to kneeling before God is such a long journey. And so what I want to encourage you to do in this series is to go for it to go for it, to step into this experience of prayer with God and conversation with God. It's trust, it's ridiculous, it's mystery, it's complicated, but ultimately what we're doing when we go into a relationship with God is that we find ourselves looking more like God, changed into light bulbs. So the greatest adventure, bigger than cliff diving, bigger than anything else, is waiting for every single person in this room. And it just takes that courage to step out. Let's pray. And, and, and that baby's so cute, oh my goodness. He just said, yeah. Lord Jesus, thank you for the children. Thank you for the truth of who you are. Thank you that we don't find our identity anymore. We should never find our identity wrapped up in whether we can have children and can't have children, whether the world thinks we're worth, worthwhile or whether the world thinks we're not worthwhile. That we should, we should find our identity in you, God, and to come to you with the truth of our brokenness that we are that we are wounded and that we have nothing to do but to cry out to you. And you understand our moaning and our, our groaning and our, and our weeping. You understand it. And so God, I pray that, that this congregation would have an, a growing heart for you and a softening heart for you through this season. And that we would grow in our trust and our knowledge of who you are and we would be bold enough to ask specific things of you so we could see your hand at work. And we could partner with you in bringing about this good kingdom. We praise you, God, for all the answers to prayer, like Roy, with his heart full today. Praise you for the answers to prayer, these babies. So awesome, God. Help us to have our eyes open to your goodness through this season. We praise you, God, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.